we'll get all our friends around us and we'll sing a song together. Welcome everyone to Pedophiles Down Under. Uh, we've, today we're privileged to have another guest who was connected with the Wood Royal Commission and uh, this is Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence, welcome to the show. Hey Fiona, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad. What about yourself? Oh, I'm doing alright. I'm still sitting here in Canberra waiting for justice, but uh, one day at a time I guess we'll get there, right? Eh? That, that's going to be a long wait. <laughs> Yeah, it? that's all right. I've got uh, a big heart and big fire to sit around. I'm okay. Okay. So, Lawrence, why don't you tell everyone a bit about yourself, um, starting with the fact that you're an Indigenous Australian. You identify as such, don't yeah. you, and you're quite proud I, of that. I identify as such. And yeah. I'm very proud of that. My yeah. um, mother was a fostered stolen generation lady who my father got pregnant when she was 15 and it was all covered up because... Mm. Of the things that go on in those days, mm. and then I came around through a um, ha- accident because my mother forgot to take the pill, mm. and uh, my father um, tried to murder me when I was uh, still in my mother's womb, and really didn't dislike, really disliked me, mm. even when I was born. So uh, when my, when I was nine months old, my mother um, was able to escape from his clutches, uh, but uh, left my brother and I alone with him. We were adopted by our grandparents, so that's where I identify as because I was a state ward and then adopted by my grandparents uh, mm. on my father's side. Mm. I've got the right to declare, declare myself uh, part of the stolen generation. Mm. Um, I always knew that I was, it was something different with me. I did not know I was Indigenous oh, um, really? when I was five, six years old because my tantrums at school, I was sent to the psychiatrist at Gladesville. I usually did the usual things. We're having to draw clowns and draw a happy scene and what's your worst sad scene and all that sort of stuff. And that happened up at Gladesville um, mm. in Sydney. Mm. Um, I ran away from my father when I was 14 because the abuse at home was so horrific that uh, I couldn't cope with it anymore. Mm. So uh, I then moved back into my grandparents and then I knew that I was going to have to be successful myself and look after myself because after uh, my grandparents passed on I would have nobody to rely on mm. so when I was when I was 16 I moved to Sydney and started a job at a place in Crow's Nest and was introduced to a man by the name of Phil Cook mm. now Phil Cook was a man who issued charity permits he was turning the brothel on pedophiles into a term called priests onto themselves and how he got this position was the fact that he was part of the Australian legal um, um, entourage in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. So when he came back to Australia, because he was a lawyer and had these connections, he uh, was able to um, tra- make people transparent to be able to get a permit for a charity. I fell in with Bill because I used to smoke a lot of pot and um, he used to... Um, sell drugs 
and uh, mm. you know, many times I ask Phil, how can you work for the Smith family and all these other charities and um, deal drugs from amphetamines through to cocaine through to marijuana? And he said, sometimes you've got to create a problem to have a reason to go in there and fix it up. And later mm. on in life, I've seen that's what they've created again and again in Australia is by first sending in the drug dealers to destroy people and then um, sending the developers to take the land. Mm. And um, so when um, Bill informed me that um, on my 16th birthday that he was quite willing to pay for a 10-year-old for me, I declined and uh, started a bit, a bit nervous because he then um, started putting pressure on me. He told me he was gay and that you know he was interested in me and I told him I'm not gay. Mm. So uh, I woke up one morning feeling pretty groggy close to stay at his place down at Milson's Point. Mm. And uh, woke up one morning with my clothes all tied with a sore ass. Mm. And I wondered what was going on. Um, by this time I had quite a heavy amphetamine habit as well as pot, as well as alcohol. Mm. Just trying to cope with my my grievances. Self-medicating. So I didn't yeah, self-medicating, so I wasn't too sure what was going on, but um, Phil was also a member of a, a bike club, and um, this bike club has links to their first chapter house being um, at Birch Grove, and this house is owned by a media person over in Washington called Robert Penfold, and Ooh. Robert Penfold is one of the big people within the um, distribution of um, child pornography. Um, his Penfold wines and Penfold yes. um, that used to bring in a lot of the drugs. Um, Bill was against heroin, but uh, they um, decided to use the drug amphetamine to destroy the Australian people mm. and be able to have access to the children because heroin meant that they were, people were, were tied to one spot, whereas amphetamine meant that they could still move around and create chaos to give them a reason to go in and fix it up. So uh, after a couple of nights, I stayed there again, and I wake up during the period of him raping me um, because they, the whole house was um, just gun racks all around the house, mm. all around the walls, all just gun racks with automatic rifles, every sort of rifle there was. Mm. Um, the front door had a prison door behind it, so you couldn't. It looked like an ordinary front door, but you opened it mm. a little bit, and then they done this other door, which was a prison door, mm. so that people couldn't run in on him. So after um, he raped me the second time, I freaked out mm. and um, ended up down at Woolloomooloo Youth Centre. Mm. Um, and um, this lady by the name of Debbie um, conversed with me and I told her about being raped and all that and um, what had happened and how guilty I felt and um, I needed help. Mm. And so she marched me into the person's office who ran the um, youth centre and his name was Frank Houston. Oh. And Frank Houston was a convicted pedophile in New Zealand by a Salvation Army officer and uh, certain people within the Macquarie Investments and other people within Salvation Army and other places brought him to Australia to, to work in a youth centre after being a convicted pedophile in New Zealand. And he oh. was put there to pick up the, he was put there to pick up the damaged children for them. And so, Frank uh, Houston of course started off Hillsong Church in Australia. Yes, and now Hillsong has now migrated back to America because they are aware that they're about to come undone big time. Mm. So um, good luck to the American people. But uh, when Debbie put me into the office and I explained to Phil what had happened to me, 
he did not want to ring the police. However, Debbie forced him to ring the police in mm. front of her, and then mm. she got called out of the office for to see someone. While that, he was out of the office. While she was, was this out Frank? Of the while Frank was out of the office, you mean? Or, or... No, Frank. Debbie was called out of the office yeah, to deal yeah. with something. Yeah. And I was left in the office with Frank Houston. Oh, Frank Houston. Alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, he walked around the table, mm. grabbed me by the throat, threw me against the wall, and told me that he just rung Phil, and that they were on their way around to pick me up. I freaked out. I didn't know what to do. I looked and realised that this. Phil, Phil was even more connected in with these guys as well. Wow. So I, I, um, when Debbie walked back into the office, she realised that something had happened and I asked her to get me out of the office. Once we got out of the office, I told her what had happened and she freaked. We drove around town for about an hour trying to find, she was trying to find out somewhere to put me safely because of the network that these people actually run, the actual charities and um, foster homes and all that that would have mm. been be put in if I'd gone through the um, youth centre. So the only place mm. you could end up putting me was in a drug rehab. And that drug rehab was run by the Salvation Army. Mm. I was only 17. Um, it's called Booth, William Booth, and it is in Centra, Central in Sydney. Mm. And there was a matron there by the name of Margaret Watson. And mm. the two people who were in charge uh, of the rehab were Brian and Margaret Walters and mm. during the Woodrow Commission Brian and Margaret Walters were transferred to the United Nations to stop us all from being able to give evidence through to get evidence through to the United Nations so they were heavily involved in this So they Brian and Margaret Walters were heavily involved in child trafficking, are you saying that? They're very heavily involved in the covering up of it I'm okay. not too aware of how well, they participated, but yeah. Brian and Margaret Walters now um, are very powerful people within the Salvation Army. Okay, as they were officers. Well, and, and sel um, the Salvos have the there by John Howard. Yeah, well, the Salvos have also just been um, reported to the current Royal Commission and been investigated and found um, that they were involved in pedophilia. Um, they weren't, yes, and they weren't just involved in pedophilia. One of the things that was overlooked by the current Royal Commission was that the evidence that the uncles program, where boys were removed from the foster homes all the weekend by the uncles and raped and then returned yes. Monday morning. Yeah. So yeah. they were, they refused to investigate that, which would have exposed who these uncles were. Yeah, and that's what the, it is, um, isn't it? The current Royal Commission just whitewashes everything, doesn't it? Like that, it does. It like the current Royal Commission did a tiny bit of an investigation into Hillsong, but then wouldn't allow anybody to testify publicly who had the real dirt on Hillsong and Frank Houston and and child trafficking and kitty porn snuff filmmaking and all that sort of stuff that um, Hillsong yes, right. involved in. I was that up. I was that upset when I heard that Brian Houston was to give evidence at the. Um current Royal Commission that I travelled from Canberra to Sydney at my mm. own expense mm. and um, turned up at the Royal Commission saying, hey mate, I want to give evidence. Mm. They put me in front of the psychiatrist and the, the head investigator for the Federal Police and refused to let me give evidence. And they said Brian Houston would be um, appearing and I was quite welcome to sit in the um, foyer, not in the courtroom. Mm. And um, see whether or not what happens. Mm. I was pretty upset so I left. Mm. Um, Brian Houston started giving his evidence and uh, 
he admits no one, he said that no one will ever know exactly what how much damage his father has done yeah and they will know because people like myself and uh, other people who are still alive were the ones he abused or were the ones he covered up because of the organized pedophile racket within the elite that um mm. you know, aim off which other people were involved in so um i ended up running away from phil um because i was terrified and put him in booth mm. um i confessed to margaret um margaret watson um that my what had happened to me and she sent me downstairs to uh the head office where i met brian and margaret waters Mm. And um, they asked me what had happened, and I told them. And Brian Mark, Brian Waters looked me straight in the face and said, "Bill Cook is a personal friend of ours, and we don't believe he would do something like that." I freaked out. Um, I left the rehab the next day, and um, got myself in trouble, getting drunk and um, all that sort of stuff, and abusing people because I was terrified. And uh, so uh, I went back to my grandparents after a while and thought that as long as I hide and stay low, no one would um, know. However, the dreams and the reoccurrence of um, the programming that Phil had put me through when I was uh, with him to actually um, part, become an um, enabler mm. and, uh, and all that, which uh, I am aware of now, back then I wasn't aware of, my um, guilt and fear ended up getting to me and I ended up being put into another rehab. Hmm. This rehab was actually run by Christian Life Centre. Oh no. Wow. I had not I had not put all the pieces together yet. I was a confused kid. You know, I wasn't aware how what it was what I what I was up actually up against. I thought I was up against an individual pedophile with a lot of power. Yeah. But then uh, later on, when he, when he did adopt, when I found out that he did job, um, fostering and adoptions and and charity work and all that, and spoke to several other survivors, it was then that all the jigsaw pieces started to fall fall into place. So um, while in Team Challenge, I was there for just under under um, ten months. Mm. Um, I gave an interview to police officers from New South Wales from the organised crime squad called mm. Graeme Tremblay and Greg, Gregory Sullivan mm. and they were the two main investigators for the Woodgrove Commission later on mm. um, so the Royal, that Woodgrove Commission started 12 months later mm. so um, when I mentioned Bill Cook's name to them they um, seized, tried to seize all three tapes of the mm. interview because back then it was done by VCR mm. and the actual recorder, Scott, actually freaked out because um, he'd never been in this, he'd never seen that. He actually rung James Wood, the police officer actually rung, rung Magistrate Wood from the office at the reception of Team Challenge to get authority to seize my copy of the tape, which was illegal. The minister, one of the ministers, and this is why I'm aware that there must be some good people still in there among them, one of the ministers, without the police seeing it, took my tape and walked out of the office. They freaked out. They tried to abuse us and demanding where the tape was, but for some reason this man stood staunch and refused to let them know where the tape is. I'm still yet to know where that tape is. Yeah. So uh, that, that was quite scary. Um, I started to realise that there must be more to this than um, my little story. 
yep. and I left the rehab and uh, thought nothing of it. Um, the Woodroll Commission was starting to process and I was laughing because by this time I had started putting the jigsaw pieces together. Mm. Like um, one, of the, one of the things that Phil wanted me to do was come to Commissioner Lowes's house and Commissioner Lowes was the Commissioner of New South Wales Police at the time and was yep. a very eccentric to the file. Um, How do you spell his last name? Lowes. Mm. Commissioner Lowes. Okay. I think it's L-O-W-E-S, I'm not yeah. too sure. Yeah. Uh, Commissioner Lowes is now up in Bath in Darwin. He's retired up in Darwin. And um, so. you you witnessed um, New South Wales Police Commissioner Lowes um, being a pedophile at the time? No, I did not witness it. Phil wanted me to go to his house to yeah. um, party. Oh. And it was later on when I spoke to another survivor who told me that Commissioner Lowes was having pedophile parties at his house and that is why he was removed as Commissioner and why they had to bring the police officer, um, Mr Ryan, from England mm. to Australia mm. to oversee the New South Wales Police because they could not find a police officer in Australia who had was not under their control in some way. Right. Um, so uh, they brought Commissioner Lowes over, I mean Commissioner Ryan over to replace Lowes to, during the Royal Commission. Yeah. Now Commissioner Ryan was famous for something down the Welsh miners for Margaret Thatcher and uh, destroyed the, the um, mining um, communities of um, Wales mm. and all that which were on strike mm. when he was an ordinary police officer in England. Mm. So he was hand to cover up the links between the House of Lords in England and mm. Australia because many of the House of Lords used to use Australia as a stepping stone into the pedophile networks within Asia above Australia. Mm. So they used to actually have pedophile tours, mm. snuff tours, all sorts of horrible stuff. Mm. So um, while I was, um, I gave my, because I given my evidence to Graham Tremblay and, and Greg Sullivan, mm. I thought, um, Oh, they're going to uh, bring it all done, undone. Mm. However, our evidence was that controversial that um, rather than produce us to the Wood Royal Commission, they removed us from it and started another court case. So that unless people, unless you were involved in it, you would not see that this court case was the elite had been withdrawn from the Wood Royal Commission and um, put into a separate cult case so that they could not get the link to the House of Lords and the elite who organised the pedophile, pedophile um, parties to tours. Um, and that case was uh, put under a heading called the Children of God. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they uh, to remove the monetary factor away from the Wood Royal Commission, they started another case called the Bottom of the Harbour Scheme, mm. which was about the money laundering. So by separating all the cases, no one, no one could see the big picture. Yeah, because so. I, I mean, I know as a victim, and I witnessed the big link between child trafficking, arm um, trafficking, you know, drugs trafficking. So they they yeah. all go went hand in hand, didn't they? Well, they went hand in hand, as in the sense that many of the communions that they do with their rituals, the um, the wine was actually laced with hallucinogenics and amphetamine mm. to actually entice a child into confidence to actually participate in sexual acts. Mm. 
Mm. So drugs were a major part of um, the network. Mm. And um, met the sober psychologists and psychiatrists who then went from being the most unauthorised um, group of doctors within the world to the most powerful. And who were they? Um, the psychiatrists. Oh, um, the psychiatrists and psychologists, Lee. Mm. Um, of, of Australia, which is, was controlled and um, still is by his uh, associates, um, Professor Kidman. Anthony, so um, you're um, saying Dr. Anthony Kidman, who was my abuser as well? Dr. Anthony Kidman was one, one of the major shutdown people mm. to, expo- to shut down the fact that Bert Newton and many of the other elite within the entertainment in- industry, from Liberace um, to... Uh, other very high profile people mm. had raped children and it got away with it. Mm. Um, the, the main um, groomer for him was a man who was also a convicted pedophile by the name of Johnny Young. Mm. Now, the Children of God had a show in Paris where children would die, drop, dance for people naked. Mm. Johnny Young took this show from, from France because he was a member of the Children of God, mm. went to Channel 9 in Sydney and brought made a show called Young Talent Time. Mm. Now, the Young Talent Time academies for performing arts were a grooming point for, uh, for having access to children who uh, were talented. Mm. And they used to use blackmail. They used to use uh, manipulation and blackmail mm. on these young children. If you want to make it in the entertainment industry, you have to sleep with me. Yeah. So Johnny Young was a convicted pedophile in Singapore, yeah. and very few people in Australia are aware of this because they covered it up. Mm. Where was the bloke from Hey Dad hiding? Singapore. Mm. Where did Miss Anthony Kidman go to put on a false death so that everyone thinks he's dead? Mm. Singapore. Mm. Where is the capital of the pedophile network in Asia? Singapore. Mm. Between there and a country called Burma. Mm. Um, uh, the two main countries that orchestrate and uh, get paid to actually provide children mm. for these elites. So, um, Phil and, Cook. Um, yeah. So, with Kidman, you were talking about you um, were aware of his connections, um, and there were some other connections. His, yeah, I was aware of his connections because, just by fortune, um, after I left Teen Challenge, I went back to work. And I met a young lady on the street and uh, asked her for a coffee, if she would like to come for a coffee. And her name, um, I'm not allowed to mention, but um, we ended up getting married. And mm. before we got married, though, um, she confessed that she'd grown up in a cult called the Children of God. Mm. And that her father was a man by the name of Amos Nichols. Mm. And Amos Nichols was one of the first operatives of the American military into Vietnam. Mm. It was when my, when um, this lady and myself um, got together that all of a sudden all the jigsaw pieces started to fit because mm. she filled in all the all the all the little spaces that I hadn't been able to see. Mm. So we got uh, married. She told me about Amos, her father, being a man who left Waco massacre, the Waco compound three days before the massacre, mm. and actually did a radio interview in America three days before it. Mm. Um, Amos Nichols then went on the run. He um, linked up with Mr. Kidman in Honolulu, Hawaii. Mm. And because um, Australia had such an easy access to 
children legally through the adoption foster systems. Um, he then moved over to, came to Australia and mm. stayed in Australia for a while, had children, more children here, and um, then went to India for about eight years to abuse children over there where it was legal. Mm. In India at that stage, it was very legal to actually buy children. Mm. So um, he then came back to Australia mm. and they were in a family house. And the family um, are very powerful people who uh, provide children for um, for abuse. And if they um, and they film it, and if you're a politician or a captain of industry or in a position in a job that they would like to be able to have access to your information, they film it, and then um, you're blackmailed. Mm. Many of the Australian prime ministers they did this to. Many mm. of the Australian government people within the Australian government, they did this too. However, there are several within the Australian government who actively participated anyway. They weren't blackmailed into it. Mm. However, all the New South Wales police um, covered it all up because it was such a thing because many of the magistrates were um, child abusers and involved in the Wood Royal Commission and were named in the Wood Royal Commission. Um, everyone from Bob Carr, who is a convicted pedophile. Bob Carr was Premier of New South Wales, and Bob Carr molested two boys in a hotel while he was in um, state parliament who were the children of an aide. And this this aide was going through a horrific divorce Mm. and had brought his children to work and we had left them in um, this motel. Um, suite with several in a row that mm. the New South Wales police had hired, New South Wales government had hired, and um, Bob Carr molested them, abused mm. them, raped them, mm. and then the father um, came back. His kids told him, and it was all put under a parliamentary privilege and sealed. Compensation was paid, and it was all covered up. Mm. And that's where they cover up a lot of these cases: is they actually pay money to the actual victims, and they. Um, Gagged. made to sign a gagging order and they're gagged and they're never allowed to speak about it again so and many of the people from the children of God ended up that way um, Bob Hawke started the Wood Royal Commission because he actually had an idea that he wanted every child to be out of poverty and um, it went against the uh, curriculum of um, the Costello brothers and the other organised pedophiles with, um, within the actual charities politicians and all that. Mr. Pe- Mr. Castello ended up becoming treasurer of Australia under the other evil pedophile connected person, um, Prime Minister John Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, Costello orchestrated all the bottom of the harbour scheme through St. George Bank and that made up another bank called St. George Building Society, sorry, and made a bank called the New South Wales State Bank. And they're laundering all the drug money, all the brothel money, all the pedophile money through false charities. And it was when my ex-wife told me this that I realised Phil's place. I realised he was the man who did all this. Phil was then um, arrested because they couldn't um, cover him up completely. And he appears in in the Sunday program on the 28th of November, 1998, complaining that they wouldn't give him all his money back even though he was the main witness in the bottom of the harbour scheme. Mm. 
and I honestly believe at that stage that some people were going to actually have him charged for his pedophilia, pedophile and, and um, fraud and laundering of um, illicit funds and all that. However, um, many of the by the time that came to court, I think he, he was either dead or um, missing. And um, he was called the witness that was rolled. And it was on Channel 9, um, Sunday program, 28th mm. of November, 1998. And I remember sitting there watching him and knowing this is the man who raped me. Mm. And even though his face was covered up. Mm. So I rung, I rung Graham Tremblay because I still had the organised uh, crime um, card, um, that business card from the yeah. New South Wales Police yeah. that um, he'd given me. So I rung the number on there thinking, oh, well, I've had enough. I want to, I want to, you know, what's going on? So I rung this number and it had been transferred and it was Commissioner Ryan's private police number. I was transferred straight to the Commissioner of New South Wales reception. Mm. He freaked out, did not understand how I got the number. I explained to him how I got the number and he wanted to, he put me through to Graham Tremblay. I spoke to Graham Tremblay and Graham's going, well, be quiet, Lawrence, there's people listening on the side. And I said, that's why I'm saying this, Graham. I don't give a rat's bum about you. Mm. You never gave a rat's bum about our, myself and other survivors. You took our evidence and then um, told us that you'd give us new ID, you'd give us a fresh start in another country. Mm. And then once you got our evidence, you said they could not do any. They said they could not do anything for us unless there was a conviction. Mm. And there was no conviction in the Children of God cases, because many of the ministers of, of um, government were being blackmailed by this group called the family mm. and many of them were active participants mm. within the children of God and the that's family. the family that's the same one that Julian Assange came from yes okay. and it was the same children David Moses it was started in the Lighthouse Foundation over in California um, by the man who um, Wilkinson it came out of the Wilkinson Cross and the Switchblade movement of the Lighthouse Foundation about helping people in underprivileged Mm. But these predators got in amongst them, and um, mm. abuse started to abuse. Because I thought, I thought David Wilkinson himself was pretty clean. So did I. I, I honestly believe that he had a good intentions, but his under minions. Um, once he set up the Lighthouse Foundation, mm. my uh, my ex um, and I spoke about it many times, and we worked out that he did have a fair go. He did want was doing it, but. Uh, when it when the lighthouse stand that foundation went to California because of the drugs and the um, fact that he um, had admitted to participating in um, David Wilkinson in the book, admits the only way he could get in there was to actually participate and smoke a bit of pot with them and act like them, and then they let them in. So I'm still wary about David Wilkinson as to because he got into the scene of the unwanted within America who were the drug addicts and the prostitutes and all that yeah uh, I've never I didn't um, know he did that not, I can't I read the cross and the switchblade when I was 15 um, and uh, you know partly we, why we all read it yeah but I don't remember that in it I'll have to have another look yeah. well there's actually a movie called the cross and the switchblade yeah, too. yeah and the yeah. bloke from tips yeah. um actually plays the head gangster in that movie yeah because um, it's all about street gangs and him going into the street gangs and trying to yeah. help them in New York um, yeah so in New York so um, 
that's where the evangelistic movement, um, Amos Nichols, had become an evangelist by then. Mm. Um, he was also a, an American officer. He'd also been uh, done tours in Vietnam, mm. and his family owned Tonka of uh, Tonka Toys. Oh wow! So he had a lot of work. Um, Amos Nichols's mother and father started um, owned Tonka Toys. It was originally an engineering factory, yeah. and Amos turned it into a toy factory. Yeah. When their form of engineering was not needed because they'd got better technology, so yeah. rather than close the vac factory and put 200 people out of work, he turned it into a toy factory. Very successful so one. Models, very successful. So many of the models of um, Tonka toys were actually engineer-designed structures to see their how big, you know, how strong they were. Yeah. So, and with that, he toured toured the world with, um, you know, under the guise of um, being a, a Christian minister within um, the, the uh, Assembly of God movement, which is what the children got a part of. Yeah. And um, be able to abuse children without anyone knowing. Wow. He horrifically, he horrifically um, abused his own daughter who um, and sold her to other men while in India. Wow. And um, also in Australia. And it was because of this that um, my ex um, left the children of God and actually divorced her parents to actually get away from him because he was that connected with that many people, Amos Nichols. That's the only way that the docs could protect her from him mm. ever being able to find her was to, to divorce her parents. Mm. And she became the first person ever to divorce her parents in Australia. And from that pilot case, it is now possible for anyone to divorce their parents in Australia. Wow. So um, Graham Tremblay and Greg Sullivan came up and spoke to my ex-wife um, when... Um, when we got married and uh, I flipped out and it was then that they said to me that, you know, if um, my ex spoke to them, they'd give us new identities, move us overseas, set us up. Mm. And so I actually sincerely thought that they were trying to do the right thing. So I agreed to, because uh, uh, my ex did not want to do it at first, really. She just wanted to go away and um, start a new life with us and try and forget all the horrors even though the nightmares and, and other things used to be quite horrific on her. Mm. So um, when... Um, so you agreed again, you, you, you believed them again that they would help you out yeah. like this if you gave a statement. And after they... Yep, and after we did... And uh, after my ex-wife gave her evidence about everything, and she was, she was fingering some very dangerous people, mm. everyone from the head of DOCS, mm. Department of Community Service, as these were men who had had sex with her as a child. Who was the head of docs at the time? Uh, I'm not remember. sure. He was the head of docs in the, on the Central Coast. He wasn't the big bloke. He was the head of yeah. docs on the Central Coast. Oh, yeah. And they send most... When, when the children do escape, they send most of the children to the Central Coast because yeah. it's a protection area for the pedophiles. Yeah. Um, and they protected by a man by the name of um, Les Darcy, Professor Les Darcy. No, that name. Professor Les Darcy is the head of the mental health unit at Gosford. And just by coincidence, he is a very high deacon within a church of the Assembly of God. And his son, um, who is a New South Wales police officer, works in King's Cross. 
Yeah. So it was very easy for him to pick up the children who had been able to escape and were on the streets and um, put them in a place where they'd never be believed. By giving them a, by putting them in a mental health unit and giving them a, a mental health act 32 means that they are insane and cannot be believed in, in court. Mm. So many of the abused children were put under the mental health act to protect the pedophiles. Of course. So uh, it was quite, you know, extraordinary that um, many years later, when I rung this card, that um, it went to Commissioner Ryan's office. Mm. I then realised just how big this was and what what it entailed. And and your ex-wife named Anthony Kidman to the police or identified him from a photo or something. You're saying? Um, Anthony Kidman and um, Amos Nichols were associated in Hawaii mm. and, um, and uh, and Australia. Mm. Um, that is why um, they had she had to divorce her parents. Was that this man? Mr. Kidman could find anyone because he was the head of the psychologist of Australia mm. and he mm. could blackmail anyone he wanted because anyone who'd spoken to, to a psychiatrist he had access to their names mm-hmm. so anyone who'd confessed some crime you know if they if they were in a case against um, the family and the pedophiles Mr. Kidman would um, threaten to bl- and blackmail them by um, saying well you mention anything Mm. Um, will um, expose this about your your past, mm. and just you know, it's, it's only coincidence, isn't it, that Keith Urban and Nicole Kidman met on Young Talentine, run by Johnny Young. Mm. They both performed on Young Talentine mm. with Johnny Young, a convicted pedophile. Mm. He was uh, famous for a song called Smiling. He was a rock and roll star from. Um, the era of Gary Glitter and all the other very pedophiles. And yeah, a lot of the kids came forward from Young Talent Time and said they'd been sexually assaulted on set, didn't they? Yes, quite a few. Um, one of the boys actually got sold to Liberace and taken yes. back to America. Uh, Jamie, and, uh, Jamie Redfern, wasn't it? Yeah, Jamie Redfern was sold to Liberace. He was sold, wasn't he? He was trafficked and yes, um, set trafficked. up. Yeah, as his little boy, and uh, yeah, the whole yeah, world, the whole world was told, "Oh, isn't this wonderful? He's given him a job opportunity, or whatever." But he was actually sold to a pedophile. Yes. So, um, you know, and uh, Tina Arena, um, mm. Franco Arena's niece, mm. was a member of um, Young Talent Time. Yes. And it's my belief that it was because of her, and um, a man by the name of Craig McLaughlin mm. from um, Neighbours, where. Um, other um, child abusers were were set. Mm. Um, had um, oh, sorry, I lost my tra- train of thought there. You're, the you're saying you're saying about Craig McLaughlin. He's involved in Frank and I Frank Arena. Stuart niece, yeah, Tina well, Arena. Frank, Tina Arena. Tina Arena and Craig McLaughlin, I believe, were the people who spoke out about Channel Nine, mm. and for that they tried to destroy their careers. Mm. Craig McLaughlin was unable to get work at, yes. after he talked about what had happened. Yeah, he tried to form a band called Checkmate, mm. and that failed because these people controlled the music industry as well. Mm. So, um, and he was very years, talented, he was, wasn't he? He was multi-talented, Craig McLaughlin. He was a very multi-talented um, young man. Yes, mm. and Tina Arena. Um, I believe because of her family being um, quite powerful, mm. were, she uh, was 
able to withstand and a lot of the pedophiles weren't going to touch her mm. because of who her family were. Yeah, right. And so she does come across... Would have witnessed. Yeah, she comes across as very strong and she's very um, popular now, very successful in France. That's right. She couldn't get successful in Australia no. because all the people who control the entertainment industry are involved in the Wood Royal Commission. And yet Tina um, is a very good singer and it turns out she's a very good composer. So she, she you know, and a good dance. She could dance as well. So she, she had all the ability, yet she wouldn't play to the pedophile tune, would she? No, she wouldn't. So, And Frank Irena was one of the senators from New South Wales Parliament who was forcing the Wood Royal Commission through mm. to try to expose them. So... I honestly sometimes think that Frank Irene is a good person. Other times I'm not sure at all because between her and another man mm. who claims to be of Indigenous descent, who was a millionaire at the time, mm. he was the financial backer to her to help help the victims, even though this man, Mark McMurtry, had never spoken to any of us. Mm. He put himself in a position to represent us and that is why we all got nowhere because Mark, didn't, when it came to the crunch where they forced Mark and Court to try and name the survivors mm. he had no one mm. so it collapsed and then they destroyed Mark McMurtry who was a millionaire mm. by um, economics by um, refusing up to do business with him um, all sorts of stuff until he um, was bankrupt. Well the same sort of so, thing that the Freemasons do in a town don't they? If you don't, if you don't join up they'll destroy your business That's right you know, it's um, very um, prominent, that sort of stuff in Australia, mm. um, all over Australia. Like, uh, the Freemasons first came up here, over here in the rum call mm. of the first fleet. So mm. they'd been established, and they were amazed at our, at the Aboriginal um, spiritual culture being so Christian-like and that mm. there was so much history here that mm. they laid about, lied about. Mm. You know, that has still been lied about that, you know, we are slowly showing people our true history of what happened in Australia. Mm. The genocides, the rapes, the child abuse. Like, um, there's this poem called The Drover's Boy, mm. which is a famous poem about um, the drover, a sheep drover, and his companion, mm. who is a 10-year-old little girl dressed up as a boy. Mm. Everyone knows, and he liked, he loved her in some ways. You listen, you read between the lines of that poem, and they actually glorified pedophilia back then. It was normal. It was accepted. Mm. It was easy because Aboriginal people were not even classed as humans back then. No. So, um, and many of the Aboriginal communities would sell their children in desperation to these abusers to protect the rest of the family. Mm. So you can't blame the indigenous communities for participating, they had no choice. They mm. had no legal standing, being um, classed as fauna and fauna. Mm. Um, they had no ability to get justice because they weren't even classified as being human. Mm. So uh, when they when someone killed an Aboriginal person, they could not be charged with murder because they weren't classed as being human in Australia. Mm. And um, it wasn't until the Mile Creek Massacre the first time um, people were charged with murder mm. for killing Aboriginal people mm. and that, you know, many of, all that was all covered up you know all the past history of the many many other people who'd um, visited Australia from American whalers 
before the colonies through to the Persians and the Egyptians who were here for a while um, was all destroyed because the hieroglyphics that were similar to the Egyptian ones um, terrified them so one of the first things the colony did was remove the spiritual culture to break the strong bond within the Aboriginal people and have access to the children and turn them into slaves yeah the whole 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 lot it's still going on though isn't it it's still happening Lawrence. Oh, yeah. it's happening even more now than it did back then because it is now legal they now use people like docs and um you know this soul and generation um sorry day stuff to uh to be able to remove the children you know rather than help the whole community um or the whole family um get over the, any issues they remove the children because it has, they then become dysfunctional and easy access for the child abusers. Mm. Whereas if they help the families to get out of the rut they're in, the, the children are safe. But no, they, they're not after keeping children safe. They're after having access to them to be able to manipulate and um, groom them into what they want them to be. Mm. So, um, And it's pretty hard to do that when your parents are there telling, no, I don't want my child to go through this. Mm. So... Um, through drugs and alcohol and um, through the welfare system um, which destroyed the Aboriginal communities mm. because they then just sat on their laurels and accepted the money rather than stand up and, and fight for their rights. This current generation has picked up the gauntlet that the people who stood up in 1972 mm. um, and before that um and they're going with it again now because of the intervention and the removal of children mm. of Aboriginal descent within the communities of Australia. So the young people have actually stood up again and there is quite a heavy movement building between um, First Nations, Idle No More, and the Aboriginal Ten Embassy and its uh, campaigners and people related to them, to the Embassy, for their campaigns, on saying we've had enough. And that is why the latest Royal Commission is so important. But just like all Royal Commissions, there's no convictions. The no. first Royal Commission that they had was the Black Death in Custody Commission. Mm. No no convictions. Mm. Wood Royal Conviction Commission. No conviction. Do do you agree? No do you do you agree, Lawrence, that um, the current child abuse Royal Commission is just a fact-finding mission so that they know where to plug up the holes and cover it all up? Well, what we, what I've what I worked out from the Wood Royal Commission and our participation in that is that this is a damage control unit. Mm. This is actually set up by the people within the pedophile unit so to, to display to the Australian public that they've, they've fixed the problem and that, you know, it's not going to happen again. Mm. However, all it's doing is legalising their crimes because it puts them under a Royal Commission seal mm. and they get away with their crimes and they get away with all, taking all the money. Frank Houston and all his mates, or Brian Houston now, um, keep all the money. Mm. So uh, it's actually legalised. All this Royal Commission does is find out all the evidence so that they can shut it in a in a in a case mm. and seal it for for you know forty years. Mm. You know, the evidence within the Children of God case, which was a late so heavily related mm. to the Woodrow Commission, 
was um, sealed in a 90-year seal by John Howard in the middle of the night because so many of his ministers and members of parliament and him being a lawyer himself from Glade School were taken. Mm. So he had to protect his treasurer, Peter Costello. Mm. He had to protect his, uh, Peter Costello's brother, Tim Costello, who um, runs a very big charity, because uh, they had all the money. Mm. They tried to send the Australian, you know, Bob Hawke to destroy, try to um, bring them undone, had to float the Australian dollar. Because what they were doing is they were putting all the money into charity accounts in Australia, um, which was set up by Phil Cook, Mm. and his crew um, the money you go because it's all cash donations so they say it's untraceable so all the money goes into a charity account in Australia they set up a mission account overseas the money is then transferred from the charity account in Australia to the mission account overseas mm. a dollar comes out of the treasury to cover that money mm. then Peter Costello would transfer the money from a, from the mission account into an investment account and bring the money back into Australia's investment money. Another dollar would come out of the out of the treasury, or the money coming the same money coming back in. So Peter Costello was getting two dollars for every dollar, and the only way Bob Hawke could try and slow them down was to actually float the Australian dollar. And when they did that, um, Peter Costello made sure that no um, very few people were actually invested in business in Australia and caused this country almost to go to the verge of bankruptcy. And that was the re and that they did that because the fact that Labor were in power and they were going to expose them and give the power back to the people. And that, they didn't and want that. They wanted the power within the government. Mm. And yet Bob Hawke was one of my abusers and um, yes. so many of got... amazing thing. Yeah, and Gough Whitlam and, uh, you know, a ho like half of Gough Whitlam's party um, were, you know, I remember being at pedo parties. And, yeah, yeah, Menzies, yeah, yeah, I've heard about Robert Menzies. Um, but I hadn't heard about um, John Howard. Um, well, John Howard's um, wife is actually, um, father actually was on record for murdering Aboriginal people on their property. When the Australian, when the Aboriginal people asked John Howard, the government to say sorry, mm. um, he spin doctors put it on to him that you know the Australian public had to say sorry to it, to the Aboriginal people. Now that's not what the spin what they wanted. They wanted John Howard and his wife to apologise personally for the genocide that her father had done that she'd witnessed. So rather than let them everyone know that her father, um, John Howard's father and um, wife who's the main power thing. John Howard's only a lawyer, nobody. Mm. It's her, his wife is the power. He's the power broker, yeah. To hide, yeah, to hide her, um, her past um, genocide acts, um, John Howard shut it down. Mm. He said that, you know, all oh, the Australian people have to say sorry, not us. Mm. And yet we wanted, because he knew that if he said sorry, he'd, they'd be liable. Mm. And so that's why that first sorry um, from the Australian people was so disgusting mm. because it came from the wrong people. The Australian people have nothing to answer for for this, from this. It's the government of Australia and the people within the government who are covering it all up and have covered it up for decades. Mm. The very first child abuse case in Australia was uh, mentioned 
in the book called The Hangman, which was about the early colony. Mm. And it's about the executioner of um, the man who um, executed um, punishment for crime um, because he was hated by the convicts. He was put in a special room in the actual garrison of the Redcoats. Mm. And in the book, in the middle of it, it talks about him um, tying up his 12-year-old daughter and raping her mm. and beating her and leaving her tied up. And if it hadn't been for the compassion of a young junior officer within the Redcoats mm. who cut her down and took her away, no one would ever know what would have happened. Yeah. And this is actually in a history book. So it was always part of the, the, the enactment of um, invading this country was to actually um, turn everyone into, into slaves and into whatever they want. Mm. And um, that's what they've done. So, mm. yeah. Now... Let's um, discuss some of the names uh, that you've mentioned to me um, prior to prior to the show. So, Lawrence, well, let's start with you mentioned a couple of names and said, "Oh, we've got to talk about John Bell and Bruce Spence." Now, those are significant names to me because, as you know, they're my they're two of my prime abusers. So, tell me what you know about John Bell. Well, John Bell was an enabler at a, at a theatre at Woolloomooloo or Waterloo, and uh, he uh, did theatre acts with uh, and um, educated people on, you know, taught people how to act, uh, many young people. Mm. And when um, Bert Newton was uh, told to go away from Channel 9 when he uh, was exposed for his prolific um, pedophile acts, with himself and Graham Kennedy and um, Bert Newton's son. Um, Is that Matthew? Bert Newton, Matt, Matt. Albert Newton um, shared his son with uh, Graham Kennedy. Mm. Um, John um, Bell openly um, let Bert Newton come down to the theatre and uh, many children were um, abused out the back of the theatre by um, Bert Newton and John Bell. Is that the Nimrod Theatre? Yeah, who the parents had left there yeah. to uh, thinking that they were safe, just like they the kids who were left at the um, young talent time talent schools. You know, the parents thought the kids were safe, but they weren't. You know, many of them were told that well, the only way you're going to make it in this industry is if uh, you uh, sleep with a few people, and uh, at, you know, and so uh, I guess a lot of the children did, mm. and uh, you know, it's a. Uh, Sad thing that you know that's how how they make it in the entertainment industry. Mm. You know, is uh, yeah, you got to you got to bed down with them mm. at an early age. Casting couch from a young age, eh? Casting couch, literally, from a young age. Um, so, um, you know, John Bell was a, a person who uh, abused a lot of the Aboriginal children uh, off the streets of um, Sydney. Um, he was renowned for uh, pretending to be feeding them, you know, giving them, you know, offering them help and all that sort of stuff. Mm. However, he was just doing it so that he could um, have access to children. And the savage thing is that is so horrific is that many of the children who have run away and are uh, in foster care and all that had been sexually abused to start with by their own siblings or parents or uncles and aunts mm. so they're already open to that suggestion so mm. people like John 
Don Bell and um, Bert Newton and Frank Houston and uh, and the other many um, child abusers um, mm. knew this. So they knew how to entice the child to sexual acts and they knew that if they raped the child because they were unwilling to participate, then they could turn around and say, oh no, she's just, you know, he or she's just uh, doing another false claim of rape just like they did before. Yeah, right. Um, so, uh, or they'll say, oh, the child participated willingly because they'd been raped before. So they mm. knew what they were doing. And many of them got off by that, you know, just uh, statements like that, that once a child knew what they were doing in sex, then um, they're open to it. Mm. That was the excuse. Like many of the, during the Woodrow Commission, um, it went to the point where they actually blamed the government. They, they, they twisted the whole case around, and one of the witnesses turned around and said, well, the reason I'm corrupt is because the government put me here. Mm. They expected me to. They never the corrupt New South Wales government. This was so prolific that the, when the premier ran, took over the government. No one wanted to be premier because they were all terrified of the criminals who actually ran the parliament as um, New South Wales. Mm. And so uh, no one wanted to be premier. And finally, they coerced Neville Ran into it. And Neville Ran is an original Balmain boy, and mm. Balmain is the centre point for the pedophiles. Uh, Alan Jones um, established himself at Bal at um, in Balmain. Mm. Um, you know, and many of the people who uh, played for rugby union um, knew that he was openly a pedophile. You know, Alan Jones. The cases at King's College were all covered up out of embarrassment that these wealthy people's children had been molested by Alan Jones why he mm. was a PE teacher there. Mm. And they were that ashamed that um, rather than having done over, they covered it up because they didn't want their children to be known as having been abused. Mm. So, um, you know, Alan Jones was a pedophile even then. You know, he, he groomed children at the church, at the school. You know, he received love letters from some of the students at the mm. school. Alan Jones then went on to become um, captain of the rugby union of... Um, Australia because he was such a blackmailing sort of person and um, had, had uh, got himself into that position and uh, when he was in France he uh, was actually found in a motel room with a young boy having sexual relations while he was coach of the Australian Wallabies rugby union side uh, he then threatened to expose it all and because they were going to jail him in transport, they, they wanted him. Um, and he actually blackmailed Kerry Packer to actually get him out of the jail in France and bring him back to Australia. And mm. it is still one of the mysteries of the today as to what Kerry Packer paid or did to the French court to have them release Alan Jones on bail. And as soon as he came back to Australia, he never ever went back there to face the charges. So, uh, you know, the case was, uh, I don't know what happened with that case, but Alan Jones was also found having um, sexual relations with young boys in um, toilets in, in England as well, mm. just before that. Everyone knew he was a prolific pedophile, but back in the 80s, it was so prominent among um, the communities of Australia because it was accepted but never spoken about that mm. um, 
you know, he got away with it. You know, people didn't care back then because so many of them had either been abused themselves or were abusers. Mm. And, you know, that was yeah. one of the things that I found very shattering, you know, was that many of these uh, people like Ralph Harris turn around and say that they were abused. Well, I was abused and I never became an abuser. So, you know, it's a human... It's these people who say that their pedophiles are born that way, I'm sorry, it is a learned condition. They taught themselves to be sexually aroused by those sort of things. And that's a learned behaviour. Mm. It's not a natural behaviour. Mm. So, um, and Don Lane was the same. You know, um, Don Lane was a prolific pedophile, you know, a horrific American pedophile mm. who... Uh, who had numerous cases of um, child abuse against him that were dropped because of intimidation of the witnesses and the actual victim by Don Lane's criminal friends. He wasn't called Don for nothing, the Don. Hmm. It went to the point where um, one family were able to be strong enough to actually force the police to arrest him and have him charged. And while the New South Wales the police were coming through one door, of the Channel 9 network to arrest him on the set for the midday show, mm. which by coincidence, Bert Newton was very um, prominent on. Yeah. Um, and other police had rung Channel 9 to inform them that detectives were coming there to arrest him for pedophilia. So um, he was thrown straight on a plane and taken back to America until the uh, case was paid this case had gone through and the victim had been paid off and gagged money and then he was brought back to Australia but by then no one wanted to know him you know, they, he'd been ostracised by the good people within the, the um, communities of um, industry and um, he never ever got another chance in Australia because people were just fed up with him so uh, you know, that's why he never made it. <clears throat> that was Channel 9 so Don Burke was another yeah. one on Channel 9 wasn't he? Oh, Berkey was a prolific. Berkey lost his fortune through uh, paying gag money to the many, many victims of his sexual orientation for children. Mm. Um, that was the main reason why Kerry uh, never ever let him come back to um, Channel 9, was the fact mm. that he'd been um, done for so many times for pedophilia, and it was covered up. And now, you, and you heard that independent of me. I heard it from Emma Furness. And she was told it by a current affair journalist who interviewed Emma Furness about Hillsong and about uh, Brian Houston going hysterical outside the Royal Commission. It was a bit of a funny story where Brian attacked Emma when she said something to him and, and he's screaming, I'm not a pedophile, I'm not a pedophile at Emma. So that was on a current affair and that journo said all of this to Emma Furness who fed it to me and now you've said it independent of Emma Furness. So, you know, that's... Well, Frank um, Houston... Frank Houston was uh, uh, you know, a pedophile, but this is what I'd like to know is that, you know, who it was within the Macquarie investment industry who financed him when he was released from jail for raping a boy for pedophilia. Mm. And, brought, and even though he was never to be worked with children again in New Zealand, who was it within Macquarie investment where Malcolm Turnbull, the now Prime Minister of mm. Australia, sat on that board who financed him to come to Australia and cleared yeah. his record to run a youth centre. Yes. Who and, was it? And also... The investment, the yeah. bottom of the harbour scheme, the bottom of the harbour yeah. scheme is now the Panama Papers. Yeah. It's and, all linked. And that's linked with Bond University and Alan Bond, that Macquarie Investment um, 
place. Um, and Malcolm Turnbull used to be paid a fortune every month in consultation fees by Bond University, which, you know, goodness knows, we thought it was a bit of a money laundering organisation, to be honest. So it was Australia's first private university. And it's so corrupt, incredibly corrupt and pedophile infiltrated, like you wouldn't believe. So that was Malcolm oh, Turnbull yeah. and Macquarie Finance involved there too. So, yeah, yeah very well, it interesting. also involved Malcolm Turnbull's uh, wife when she was... Uh, a member of Sydney um, Council, Sydney City Council, mm. many of the child um, kitty um, brothels were uh, opened because she cleared them for a business licence and then the fire warden cleared mm. them for when you did the fire inspection. So rather than, you know, the business would be registered as a laundry, for example. Mm. So, you know, he'd go in there and he'd see it's set up as, as a brothel. But he'd be paid as long as all the fire ordinance was, was legit. He mm. was paid by having being able to have free sex at any of them by just clearing that for his fire safety and not reporting that the business was not a laundry, but it was actually a brothel. And what happened was uh, Sally Ann Huxup, who uh, had caught on to the, these organised uh, pedophiles mm. and what was actually going on, between the underworld and Roger Rogerson and mm. his crew who, who ran these brothels and provided protection for the pedophiles in the underworld, um, he... Um, oh, excuse me, I lost my train of thought there for a minute. Um, Terry, yes, Sally Ann oh. was given um, authority to write... You know, was writing, um, writing um, stories for um, Playboy magazine and Penthouse magazine in Australia. Mm. And so she was asked to write a story on, on prostitution because she was mm. a prostitute and mm. a heroin addict. So she was she wrote a story about the child um, pedophile, the child sex slave industry mm. in Sydney. Mm. So she wrote this story and it was going to be um, put in the um, magazine mm. and uh, it passed the uh, owner of the... Um, magazine's desk who's known as the king of porn of Australia and that is Malcolm Turnbull and mm. as soon as he realised that all his people were going to come undone he authorised um, the murder of Sally Ann Huxford Oh, so you know? our current Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull ordered the murder, uh, ordered the murder of Sally Ann, the journalist He uh, ordered the murder of Sally Ann because he was actually um, a lawyer for Kerry Packer Yes, and he was sent to to England, I mean to America, to negotiate the rights for Playboy in Australia with Hugh Hefner, mm. so that Kerry Packer was meant to own the rights to Playboy. And Hefner's a big pedophile too. We all know that. And so what happened was uh, he uh, went over there as um, Kerry Packer's lawyer. Yeah. But when he came to ownership of the contracts, he put his own name down instead of Kerry Packer's. So he owns the rights to all pornography in Australia, mm. and yet he's the prime minister of this country now. They've gone. Mm. That, that's how hard. But they use that position as prime minister as a protection mechanism, so that you cannot persecute him because of parliamentary privilege. Even though many of us know about this stuff, and many of them, many of us have tried to expose it, parliamentary privilege means that. You know, they can shut you down at any time. And what was Sally Ann's last name? Huxit. How do I spell that? 
Huxit, I'm not too sure. Huxit. Joanne Huxit, Ray Martin did a story on her. Yeah, right. Ray Martin, one of the only people I trust yeah. within Ch- Channel 9 because he actually tried to expose them all mm. and it tried to expose how corrupt they were yeah. to the point where a bloke by the name of um, Cliffy Saxon, Ian Saxon, yeah. who was an entrepreneur, music and uh, entertainment person, yeah. was found with a whole millions, millions of dollars going mouldy in um, mm. in um, garages and all that from um, prostitution money, drug money, mm. and it was they were making so much money out of it they couldn't launder it quick enough. Mm. So Ian Saxon was using Phil Cook to launder the money, and this is what the bottom of the harbour scheme and the witness who was rolled was about, because Ian Saxon stood up in court mm. when he was jailed for this for our money, all this um, undeclared money mm. and where it was from. Mm. and declared openly that he'd give someone a million dollars if they get him out of jail. At, by the end of the week, as in the cell at Long Bay, jail, mm. he was not there. Mm. He turned up in California, being protected by the pedophiles in California. Mm. Until Ray Martin, and even though the federal police knew he was there, everyone knew he was there, no one was willing to bring him back to Australia. Mm. So Ray Mark went over there with 60 Minutes and exposed him. Mm. And that embarrassed mm. the government. But even then, Ian's uh, case was covered up and he was never charged with any of the events apart from um, tax evasion. So wow. uh, and Ian actually did time for that. And yet, you know, who let him out of jail? You know, how do you, how do you get, leave a cell in one of the most secure prisons in Australia, Long Bay? Mm-hmm. And yet he came to, back to Australia, did his time, and he's now a free man. Mm. He had a brother called Richard Saxon, mm. who, uh, when Ian was overseas, was the person who kept it going with Phil Cook, mm. who uh, was um, linked to a bloke by the name of Jasmine, and Jasmine was a sergeant of arms of a bike club, as mm. was Phil Cook, a uh, member of the same bike club. Mm. And... Um, you know, this bike club um, had its first chapter um, in um, Penfold's house at Birchgrove in Balmain. So, <laughs> Birchgrove oh, and Balmain. So, all these bikey laws, what a load of garbage all these anti-terror laws are that they've introduced. When the crooks... When the club found out what these people within their club were doing, they threw them out and were actually after them themselves. Mm. They were disgusted with what was going on. Mm. They had no idea, so they say. And ninety, 99% of the blokes within the biker community that I've met and know are totally against this sort of stuff. They're the mm. sort of blokes who end up picking up the children and trying to put them back together because they end up destitute mm. and nowhere. And out of the kindness of these people's hearts, because they know how hard it is, mm. they try and protect the children. Mm. And yet there's... You know, the Australian government doesn't want people to protect these children, so any group or culture that tries to protect them gets mm. uh, attacked and persecuted and shut down. So mm. I've got a lot of time for a lot of the bikers, mm. um, a very lot of time, because they're, they've um, been willing to stand up and say, enough's enough, mm. and um, support a lot of people in being able to speak their story without being... Um, fear of being threatened or hurt or other people around them being hurt because they're standing up and talking the truth. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff about Malcolm Turnbull that is shady, 
the Panama Papers is won, and it's only coincidence that Neville Rand, the man who was, they made Premier when no-one wanted to be Premier of New South Wales at the start of the Woodrow Commission, mm. and Malcolm Turnbull made all their money in Siberia after the collapse of Russia in gold mines. Mm. And all that money went to the, Pan- went, went to the um, island accounts. You know, here's, here's, a, here's an Australian government that, that chased an icon of Australia, Paul Hogan, demanding to know how much money he has in, in accounts overseas so that they could tax him on it mm. and you know, almost send him bankrupt and destitute in Australia, seized mm. everything off him because they were saying, oh, you're hiding money overseas, that's tax evasion. And they hunted him all up for, for years and he opposed them and it almost bankrupted him. Mm. You know, recently Malcolm Turnbull has been found to be doing the same thing. I do mm. not see the tax man going after him. Mm. Where's the equal justice in Australia when you know, an icon of um, of Australian Paul, TV, Paul Hogan, from um, Crocodile Dundee and all that, mm. gets chased for tax evasion, and your Malcolm Turnbull recently got shown to be involved in the Panama Papers, and nothing's been done. So there's a lot of corruption at high levels, mm. you know, even to the point where um, when I was speaking to Commissioner Ryan on from the who was brought over to Australia to uh, cover up the links between the House of Lords um, and, and um, the organised pedophiles in Sydney, mm. which was um, networked through Alexander Downer, mm. and I'll get to Alexander Downer in a minute, but when um, when all that was orchestrated, I forgot what I was going to say because I brought Alan, Alexander Downer. Downer. Oh, yes, Kerry Beck. So when I, um, I sent my brief to... Uh, um, um, Kerry Chikolovsky in New South Wales Parliament by um, by post, and I've still got the post um, mm. receipt to show that it was a registered letter. And I spoke, I rung her two days after I sent the post package, and she was so determined because Franco Arena was standing up with Mark McMurtry and trying to expose these people. She was going to table me in Parliament in New South Wales. And the day before I was meant to come into her office to be sent, put down on the floor of Parliament to expose all this, she got she got exposed for smoking marijuana and and uh, allegedly hanging out with um, criminals. Mm-hmm. As soon as they became aware that you know she was going to table me on Parliament and then nothing would be taken back, they shut her down by um, exposing that she smoked a bit of pot. Mm. So um, that's how powerful these people are. And it's people within the legal bar system, the psychology system, um, the entertainment system, and the medical system completely. Malcolm Turnbull is one of the biggest uh, owners of the pharmaceutical um, industry in Australia. Mm. So by creating a problem with these drugs and all that, it gives him per- per- permanent um, clientele for his legal prescriptions once they, get, once they, if they ever get clean off the um, amphetamine that is now going around. Mm. So, you know, um, he, it's an, a win-win for him. First, he gets money out of the drug system for to put them on the drugs, and then when they actually go through the mental health system, they're experimenting, it gives them fresh minds to experiment on that are stuffed up, and they try and, you know, do what they want with them, and mm. they gives them the um, people to be able, guinea pigs to be able to Experiment with their um, psychoanalytic drugs, which mm. um, nine times out of ten do not work. No. And they tell you that when they in the in the mental health unit, mm. oh, this is an experimental drug, so 
So they cover themselves legally by telling you that, and, but we think it might work for you. And most people sit there and believe what the doctor's saying, and okay, and, and once many, many of these substances, once they take them, they're not allowed, they can't stop because they replace the natural mm, uh, drugs in the system of the body, and so yeah. that shuts down. So they're hooked for life, which means that who gets the money? The pharmaceutical industry. Mm, Malcolm so Turner. the pharmaceutical industry, yes, has a lot to answer for. Who gets, wow. a, who gets a cut for all pornography in Australia? Malcolm Turnbull. Malcolm Turnbull. So he has a lot of fingers and a lot of pies, and he's a very big criminal within the organised crime of Australia, let alone the world. Um, he, yeah, so you mentioned the name Ale- Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah, you, you mentioned right. Alexander Downer before, and you yeah. said that he had a bit of a nickname over in England. Yeah. He was known as the colonial cocksucker. Mm. Uh, Malcolm, um, Alexander Downer went to an uh, uh, English private school where the um, children of uh, members of the House of Lords and the elite made him, made him suck their dicks. Mm. And um, he was the main um, orchestrator between the House of Lords and, uh, and the pedophile units pedophile groups within Australia. So you're saying the Westminster pedophile ring that Jimmy Savile and yeah, the, the royal family yeah. and yeah, everyone have been linked to. Mm. Yeah, that's all Alexander Downer. He's linked with all that. Mm. You know, and uh, he, he, you know, he openly admits that his father murdered Aboriginal children and um, Aboriginal people because he didn't see them as human. Mm. He saw them as uh, animals and savages. Mm. And Alexander Downer actually did a radio interview where he openly admits this. That yeah, and his father was the ambassador for Australia in England, mm. and that is why he was at this private school. And yet they saw him as the colonial cocksucker because they looked down on him because he wasn't from their people. You know, he was mm. yeah, just he's, a colonial he's just person who'd been convic- to convict scum. His father was the <laughs> ambassador. Yeah, convict yeah. scum because he wasn't part of the um, scum, class yeah. system in England. Now, um, you've also uh, mentioned um, another name, and that's John Avery, police, New South Wales Police Commissioner John Avery. You said you know something about him as well. Oh, John Avery was the main person with um, Mr. Um, Darcy, Les Darcy, and Kidman to cover up um, pedophile child sex acts within the Christian communities. Um, his, Avery was a devout, devout Christian, mm. and um, if you were a Christian and uh, got caught molesting children, mm. and you were of high ranking, then um, he would step in and intervene, and um, make a, a quiet case out of it, and then all you had to do was, you know, tick the boxes that um, they they put in front of you saying that you've gone to certain counselling sessions then they'd pay Mr Kidman to say that oh you're cured mm. and it was all covered up so mm. Avery um, protected all the pedophiles within the churches for years as New South Wales Commissioner mm. and um, they had participated himself in acts of um, prostitution with very young girls so yeah, that's yeah. one of the benefits of being a high-ranking New South Wales police officer mm. is that because you hang around with these criminals, sooner or later, you become one of them because they mm. pay you off. Yeah, so Avery, Avery um, I, uh, he's one of the main people that I've reported, oh, look, years ago. I've remembered him for years as being um, 
well, well, when I, you know, it's with the internet that you can find all the faces, can't you? It makes it a lot easier. Um, but he yep. he was at Bathurst City Hall and he was in the um, Luciferian pedophile ritual and he was there uh, murdering kids. So I was there and I saw it with my own eyes. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's well, Avery. Yeah, well, um, yeah, a lot of the... Fa- there's a family house down, at, um, down on the border of Melbourne and Sydney where... The, a lot of the ritual, a lot of the children are held for this ritual killing. Mm. Um, one of the most famous cases of um, cover-ups is the Beaumont children. You know, um, that was uh, organised pedophiles. And, mm. uh, you know, there's a town out the back of South Australia that's a fly-in, fly-out zone where they actually keep the children in the houses, the kidnapped children, mm. where millionaires and all that would fly in, do what they want, and then mm. fly out. There's mm. only one road into this town, one road out of this town. And um, if you try and go in it, into this town, they'll let you come in, but you're very unwelcome. Yeah. And it involves might, might everyone not leave. in the town. <laughs> might not leave. Now, um, got some other names here. John Laws, our famous 2GB uh, radio. Oh, the man with the golden voice. Yeah. No, John Laws was not the man with the golden voice. John Laws was known within the community as the man with the golden arm. Mm. John Laws was a prolific heroin user, mm. and that's why he always wears sunnings because he had he was always pinned. He overdosed several times, which mm. is recorded by the New South Wales Ambulance Service, who in the end refused to visit his property out the back of Yarramalong, which is out the back of Wyong, mm. um, on the Central Coast, which is where Les Darcy put all the children. Um, because he was so abusive when they revived him from his heroin overdoses. Mm. Um, so he uh, he tried to get help for his drug addiction many times, as did Neville Rand, but failed. And uh, so uh, Neville, um, John Laws was um, renowned for um, yeah, um, child, abuse, child abuse with um, young people out of his farm at Yarramalong. He invited them out for parties out there. Mm. And... Mm. Uh, you know, and uh, where the children were were raped and uh, either murdered or drug, drugged up that psychotic that no one would believe them once they're, they're released back onto the street. Mm. Um, and it's only coincidence, so they, <laughs> that um, whose property is nearby? Never ran. Uh, Never John, ran I think John altar. Bell also had a property out there. Yes, a lot of them do. They're, they're all well, somewhere around up, there. Somewhere around um, that area, you know, going up there, yeah. Well, Yarramalong Valley is... is uh, there's one road in, one road out of Yarramalong Valley, and it's there's a cockatoo at the at the start of it near Woodbury's Inn mm. that as soon as you go past a certain point, everyone in the valley is informed that an unknown car is coming down the road. Mm. And um, John Laws owned the last property on the very... Um, the end. End of very of Yarra, of very end of Yarramalong Valley, mm. to where the, it, there was a locked gate right next to a house, and this house observed every person who came in and left that property, mm. and uh, this gate was locked, and you had to go to this house to get the key. Mm. And, but once you got the key to that gate, you entered John Laws's property, and it was a world unto itself. And over the other side of the ridge was um, access to a lot of the other properties, going through Ye right through mm. the Musselbrook. And whose famous property was at Musselbrook? Kerry Packer. Mm. So uh, it was very... Uh, well, he was a up. huge pedo. Did you know about Kerry Packer being a pedophile? 
The only thing I'd ever heard about Kerry was that he uh, had abused one of his nieces. And uh, that was the only thing that I'd heard about Kerry. Mm. However, um, Kate Fisher and uh, Jamie Packer had got into a bit of an incident where um, they had a threesome, which is the reason why uh, Kate Fisher uh, left, uh, was forced out of the family, Packer, and had to sign uh, a waiver saying that she'll never speak about what she saw at the Packer household. Mm. And part of her compensation by Kerry Packer for this silence was the most um, elite um, brothel in Bondi. Oh. That was part of her compensation. She owned the, bro- the most elite brothel in Bondi. Nice. So that was a that was the payoff for uh, being the fiance of um, Jamie Packer and um, you know getting Jamie Packer to jump into bed with um, another man and herself. And this poor bloke had to run run and hide. He was a, a local uh, hairdresser in um, on, in Bondi, mm. who um, Kate Fisher had had relations with before. Mm. So, uh, and poor Jamie was pretty drunk and and high. Mm. And um, when he came to and realised what he was what had happened, he was disgusted with himself, right. and it really yeah. hurt him, hurt him mentally. And um, so that's why Kerry Packer had um, Kate Fisher thrown out of the family and tried to hunt this hairdresser to uh, make sure that he never ever spoke about it again. However, I've never ever heard of um, what happened to that hairdresser. You know, mm. it was, uh, yeah, but he was terrified. I was told that he went, ended up running away to New Zealand. So, mm. so that's uh, so another link to all of this is John Singleton who was who oh, bought 2GB yeah. yeah, radio station. John Singleton is a prolific pedophile heroin dealer and outright criminal. But John Singleton was only the front man. John was only the person up the front. The actual person who actually had all the money and had all the connections to all the pedophiles in Sydney was a man by the name of Tom Langsky. And Tom Langsky's family um, owned coal ships and exported coal from Australia to England. Mm. And um, so he was a very wealthy, came from a very wealthy family and Tom is now passed away, and John Singleton um, is that prolific within the being known as a pedophile that even though he owns the stadium in Gosford, where um, where many of the football teams from the National Rugby League play, um, he has been um, yelling for years to get the set, our team on the Central Coast in the NRL. National Rugby League and the reason why they refuse to is because John Singleton is linked to them because he, they, he owns their home ground at Gosford they do not want him to have any participation in the NRL because of his pedophile acts the same thing with Alan Jones as you see Alan Jones has nothing to do with Rugby League or Rugby Union anymore because Alan Jones was once coach of Balmain mm. and while he was coach he was raping all the little boys Mm. So John Law, Alan Jones is part of the same crew, and John yeah. Law is part of the same. They're crew all two GB. Um, mm. Well, yeah, and well, so is Ray Hadley. You were, you were saying Ray Hadley? Yeah. he's also two well, Ray GB. Hadley was a, Ray Hadley is also a Balmain boy. Mm. Ray Hadley is a part of Alan Jones's crew, the original um, pedophile um, crew. Mm. 
Um, Ray Hadley is protected by his son, who is a very powerful um, New South Wales police officer who um, protects pedophiles and protects his father for being one. So the whole of 2GB is just full of it. The only person I have concern for who has recently gone to 2GB is Ben Fordham. Because in 1999-2000, when I decided to try and um, pull this up about the Children of God cases and the Wood Royal Commission, mm. I was fed up with just hiding from them mm. and having to live in um, pubs and, and all that and work in building industry, you know, under the radar and just keep my head down and hope that they left me alone. Mm. Um, you know, he was... Uh, main person who what was it um, Ray Hadley who was it I was talking about Diana it's uh, up in my head oh you were saying um, Ray Hadley's son was a New South oh, Wales yeah, police yeah, officer yeah. well the 2GB have recently taken a man in who actually filmed me got a, a report uh, a cameraman from Channel 9 mm. to actually film me going into Surrey Hills Police Station mm. and because I had a warrant for my arrest for uh unpaid fines and all that mm. and I wanted to hand myself in but I was terrified that I wasn't going to come back out mm. so I actually approached Ben Fordham and mm. asked Ben to help me and mm. Ben was willing to help me and he did mm. he thought he was disgusted with it however after he had me filmed and I got bail mm. and I guess he bailed me Frank mm. Houston what? and I was terrified I flipped I'm thinking well do I stay in jail? and um, possibly get murdered by these pedophiles? Or do I let Frank Houston, who was then an, uh, an officer again within the Salvation Army and was the court support at, um, in, a, in the in, um, Central Court in Sydney? And he put his hand up to bail me. And then he threatened me outside the court. And he put me in foster house, the Salvation Army's uh, men's hostel in Sydney. And that's when I kept talking to the detectives um, and we a detective by the name of Brad Young who was part of Commissioner Ryan's personal police force that he brought over from England because he couldn't find he had to bring his own police force he had to bring them his secretaries own secretaries in a circle because he couldn't, couldn't trust any of the New South Wales police oh. so um, but then um, after that um, I ended up um back in Gosford and I got picked up by the police and thrown in the mental health unit under the care of Les Darcy and as soon yeah. as I started telling abusing Les Darcy he um, wrote me off um, and it's all on, re on record in, in Mandala that you know many of the nurses in there listened to me and knew what was going on and actually wrote in my notes that you know what I'd said about Professor Les Darcy and he was furious he was totally furious because uh, he'd been exposed for his uh, cover-ups through the... You know, he was the main psychiatrist for children on the Central Coast. So, yeah, he's... Uh, you know, it all, it's all networked in together in the sense that once the child had been abused and been fostered out, they had continuous access to that child and the child would be submissive because they'd already been desensitised through the trauma of the first rape. Mm. So they'd um, participate more freely. And those who didn't participate freely were drugged and murdered. So, so. An, another big name that um, you mentioned was Molly Meldrum. You want to tell us about him? Ah, Molly. Molly. He, Molly he, Meldrum, I would just Meldrum tell... Was, 
He's the Jimmy Savile of Australia, by the sounds. Of course, Countdown, he is. host many of Countdown. Many of the bands years. in Australia, many of the bands in Australia did not make it because they refused to participate in child sex acts at Molly Meldrum's parties. Mm. Molly Meldrum was a prolific child abuser, and you can tell the good bands who were not pedophiles or did mm. not um, turn a blind eye to pedophilia because they're the ones who never ever made it on the show Countdown. Mm. They never made it on Countdown, and they were bands like um, Cold Chisel, The Radiators, mm. Rose Tattoo. You know, one of the best men I've ever seen for actually who actually tried to expose with Ray Martin the the, the prolific uh, uh, attacks of um, children in um, Channel 9. Was angry Anderson? Yeah, he was Mail the real deal. Mail got a lot of time for mm. that man. Mm. He was the real deal. Mm. He wanted all. He wanted them all he exposed. Yeah. And I've got a lot of time for that man, you know, and uh, a lot of time for him. And so, you know, it was through my confidence that I'd, I was aware of people like that that I kept going, I kept pushing, and I mm. kept uh, trying mm. to have a voice but not being heard, you mm. know, or being shut down and my own depression and my own fears and all that mm. and my own um, ability to sustain my own lifestyle went further and further down because I wasn't being um, listened to and the very services that um, you go to to get assistance when you uh, fall behind in food or anything like that were the very people who I was trying to hide from, mm. the Salvation Army. And then when I did go see the Salvation Army, they would write in their reports that they'd assisted me and they'd done this and this and this for me. Mm. And they'd done nothing for me. They'd kick me out the door and I'd go off my head. The police would turn up and they said, oh, you've been helping. I said, mate, they didn't do anything for me. Oh, on their paperwork, it says it. And I said, yeah, they forged it. I said, look at me, I'm still standing out here. I haven't been given any assistance. I haven't even been given a food voucher. Mm. So, um, you know, yeah, so, you know, I've got a lot of time for Ang Angry Anderson and... Uh, and he stands against um, child abuse mm. and uh, should be thanked for what he's done for to try to help. So another and another um, high-profile person um, in the entertainment industry is um, the, the actor who played Elvin Purple, Graham Blundell. You know something about him too? Yeah. Graham Blundell was a, an enabler to be able to entice the young girls through a TV show called Alvin, um, Alvin Purple because they put the show on that every all, all girls wanted to have sex with Alvin for mm. some reason. Mm. So in, in because that was the persona the of the TV show, was him having sex with all these women, mm. it put him in the position that when he was out in public, all young girls wanted to fuck him. Oh, sorry, wanted to have sex with him. Mm. So he, he was the main one of the main enablers who took young girls and boys to the pedophile parties. Mm. And because, and they would openly participate because of the programming that they'd watched through the Album Purple show. Mm. You know, it was a, it was a subliminal um, enticement to be sexually active at an early age with adults. Yeah, yeah, I remember so, the show. Uh, yeah. I, I remember that show. Um, I wasn't allowed to watch it much, <laughs> but uh, I remember catching it. Um, <clears throat> now, you, what else? There was um, you heard about um, Chief Justice Kirby. Chief, Chief Justice Kirby was a prolific pedophile, and the main um, um, cover-up 
for the pedophiles, who do you get caught within the high-profile ones? Mm. Um, just like he was in with um, Avery, mm. and he was the magistrate Avery used mm. to cover up and get all those boxes ticked and get it covered up. Mm. Uh, magistrate Kirby, you know, um, ran many of the Royal Commissions from black deaths in custody mm. through to um, other Royal Commissions at the time. Mm. Um, you know, because uh, he was willing to cover up for for the abusers. You know, um, in every single Royal Commission that we've had in Australia, there's been no convictions. No. From the Black Deaths in Custody Royal Commission through through to um, the Royal Commission into... the Wood Royal Commission into pedophiles and corruptions within politicians, entertainment and business, mm. all right, which is the Wood Royal Commission. Mm. Uh, Magistrate Kirby, um, Magistrate Wood, answered to Magistrate Kirby on that. Magistrate mm. Kirby nominated Mr Wood because he knew he could not do it himself because of his past relations with covering up pedophiles. And mm. if that had come out during the commission, if one of the children had stood up or anything like that, it would have just destroyed the Wood the commission. So that he Wood was hand picked because mm. he was also an abuser. Mm. You know, he uh he, he um Mr Wood had a extreme bad alcohol issue. Mm. And in his drunkenness, had abused several children, and uh, they, they got away with it. So, mm. you know, um, he, he was abused, quite a. There's a daughter of his that um, I hear has gone missing. He had an uh, adopted um, Eurasian daughter, who once she was spent, um, they um, murdered her when she was about thirteen. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Kirby was uh, quite a ruthless man. The actual uh, no, New Commissioner South Wales Wood, Police I mean. This is Commissioner a, Wood. Yeah, Commissioner Wood. The New South Wales Police used to have a, part, a contingent of officers who just looked after the magistrates mm. to make sure... You there? Yeah. Yeah, to make sure that the uh, magistrates did not publicly embarrass the legal system. Mm. And the magistrates knew this so they could get away with whatever they wanted mm. and Commissioner Avery and his uh, crew of pedophile protectors mm. would protect him. And one of those main pedophile protecting police officers was Ray Hadley's son. Mm. Right. So that's now, where they yeah. covered up for each other. Now, Commissioner Wood, you said he abused his own daughter who's still alive. Well, I've been told that he, he abused his own daughter who uh, is still alive and actually participates quite heavily in activism within the um, communities of Australia and has used her position as a, as a hiding spot, you know, in, um, and, uh, you know, has actually threatened me if I uh, spoke about Mr Wood. Mm. Um, I can't think of her name at the moment, but she, uh, she is quite um, known within the communities of... Um, campaigning for human rights and um, Aboriginal rights within Australia. Mm. So uh, I'm not sure whether she supports her father or actually uh, is against him. But, uh, yes, mm. he uh, it was told that yeah, he had abused his own biological daughter as well. Mm. Mm. And you wanted to cover something as well. You wanted to um, just talk about... Uh, Bill Cook and um, Amos Nichols and their involvement, their military service background and their involvement, Amos's involvement in the CIA. Well, I, well Bill Cook was uh, part of the Australian legal team 
for the Australian military in Saigon during the Vietnam War. So he was uh, associated with Amos Nichols, who was also one of the first, who was a military officer who went through um, American military uh, officer training school. And I was told that he was also an elite member of the CIA and that he was uh, actually one of the first operatives into into Vietnam to organise the drug industry. Mm. Um, and uh, he was one of the main organisers of Pol Pop to actually try and um, create the Utopia Society. The CIA are, are still seeking the perfect way to control man. And mm. they do that, you know, it's called the Superman syndrome, mm. you know, to make the superhero, you know, to make the ultimate warrior, so to thing. And uh, that was a carry-on of uh, Adolf Hitler's and the Nazi Party's experiments mm. of making the ultimate soldier mm. from um, the Second World War. Many of the scientists who participated in this mind control programming during the Second World War for the Germans were actually um, put under the Operation Paperclip and taken to mm. America, continue these experiments to be able to control the masses of America through subliminal messaging of um, acceptance through programs of, on TV. Think about it. They don't call it program for no reason mm. on TV. You're being programmed to believe through images what's in word to accept certain things and mm. just uh, say it's normal for society. Um, and by, by getting people aware of it before they actually get exposed to it in reality means that they're going to be more accepting of it. Oh, you know, I saw that they're doing it on TV and the way they do it on in the movies, there's nothing wrong with it. So if they want to do that in real life, yeah, let them do it. So, uh, you know, it, it turned a lot of people away from um, being able to stand up and expose, you know, the cases like Alan Jones, the cases like Liberace, you know, and um, mm. Jason when he brought, um, actually bought a boy from Young Talentine and took him back to... England, I mean back to America. Mm, Liberace, yeah. yeah the, the one we said, yeah, Jamie Redfern, yeah. Yeah, Jamie Redfern, yeah. Mm. So, you know, Jamie Redfern started out on Young Calentine. Liberace and um, Johnny Young were good friends. Mm. And Johnny Young being a convicted pedophile in mm. Singapore that mm. was covered up in Australia. Mm. Um, you know, what do you, you know, there's, it just shows that there's more and more links into the entertainment industry in America than what people realise and it is because many of the main players are now dead many people are now able to be able to stand up and have their voice because they were too terrified when that person was alive to speak out because they knew that they'd never make it to court mm. these pe people with money are able to buy justice in Australia it mm. is a known fact that Australia has the best justice system money can buy yeah, and, you know, it's got nothing to do with truth and justice. No. It's to get Australian courts, it's all to get an outcome, an outcome that suits the courts, not truth and justice. And because of that, they're able to cover it up. The more money you got, you can win a case against someone in a, in Australia for this stuff. And if they've got millions of dollars, they'll just appeal it until you're bankrupt or until they they've terrorised you privately so lot for so long. Um, that you, you, you give up trying to, to take them on because you oh, realise yeah. that they've destroyed your life and they're going to go further and further to do it. You know, they'll 
they'll, they'll buy the, your uh, suppliers to for your um, business. So you, you say you, you distribute paper cups. They'll buy the distributing company that gives you the cups and then refuse to give you the cups. Mm. And then you lose company. They're, you know, it's, this is so because this was quite phenomenal in Australia. That is why the bikey clubs were formed to actually stop small businesses being bullied by these criminals. Men stuck together and stood by each other for their small businesses that were under attack from these people. Right. And now they're doing it again. The middle class, you know, Malcolm Turnbull's doing it again with uh, saying who can have a business and who can't. Because uh, the people who stand against him, um, he doesn't want them to have money to be able to oppose them. So how do they do it? They make legislative law saying it is illegal for those, these sort of people to own certain businesses. So, uh, you know, they, and even though it might not have an instant impact on their, their agenda in 10 years' time, it will, because all of a sudden the percentage of people who uh, are able to stand up to them has been depleted over that 10 years, and then they install the next part of their, their um, plan and agenda to turn us all into corporate slaves to, uh, you know, and um, it's already done. Like this stuff that's coming out in the in the Royal Commission now, the only reason a lot of they're, they're willing to do that was because so much of the links between the organised pedophiles was covered up in the Children of God cases by John Howard at, a, at some phenomenal hour of the morning in Parliament in Canberra under a 90-year lease, under a 90-year seal. If there's nothing to hide... Why would you have to put a 90-year seal on the evidence? And that why would Mr. Costello go to Hillsong and do a, do a, a theatrical um, display on the, on the um, stage of Hillsong Church for Christianity and that they'd won just mm. after um, John Howard had sealed everything in, the, mm. in, the, in this case? Boasting. So, you know... Yeah, boasting, openly boasting that they got away with it. Mm. So back, went back to business, you know. Um, any person who opposed them, they refused to finance or, you know, he was the head of the tax man, so all of us tax, you know, he was the treasurer. So if you oppose what they'll do and all of a sudden you'll be audited by the tax man, you'll, you know, the police are pulling you over and booking you for things that weren't even real. Mm. Um, and then because you're because you've got no legal support in the sense that you're not entitled to the same um, way of um, pr pr proving your case as the public prosecutor, mm. you've got to pay for your lawyer. So if mm. you've got no money, you get no justice in Australia, because mm -hmm. you don't get a lawyer. You get legal aid, you know, and the, you know, they call the Aboriginal Legal Aid Service the Aboriginal Lockup Service, because mm. they don't, they're not there to represent the, the Aboriginal people in law, they're there to represent the law to Aboriginal people within their courts. Mm. And yet, the wording of it makes it sound as if they're there to represent the Aboriginal people within courts. And yet, it's taken over 15 years for the people to realise that's what they're doing, just by their own actions again and again and again. You know, they don't represent anyone unless there's a um, chance that that person is going to jail. So, any sort of personal case that are uh, of um, trying to bring child abuse in and all that their own mandate from funding from the government, they're not allowed to do it. So they can't they can't even assist in exposing the child abuse within the Aboriginal communities that these perpetrators 
do openly up in the Northern Territory and the outback of Australia. You know, these are managers of um, communities within white communities, within mm. Aboriginal communities who hold the keys to the uh, supplies, to your dole, to everything. You know, it's just like mm. having a ration card or, or being a, a mission Indigenous person from, um, you know, rights 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So, uh, you know, and, you know, if you oh, if you want to pass, then come come out the back, little girl, and, uh, you know, um, come see me out the back and I'll write that pass so you can leave the mission. But if you don't come out the back and see me, now you're staying on the mission. Mm. Now they've um, gone the opposite way and they've removed everyone from the missions into the town camps so that they can actually take the children from them rather than because they're not living up to the quality of standards of living within the Western world, within the town camps. And yet they're given no assistance. They're given no money. They're given no support, no housing, no nothing. They're just taken off their homelands and dumped on the side of the town. You know, and they're not, you know, there's, there's, um, you know, they're not even allowed to... So many of them lose their, their way and they become alcoholics. They get drunk. They see other people within the community doing this stuff and so they do it and then they get caught and persecuted. And yet when they turn around and say, oh, Joe Doe is doing... Oh, well, mate, prove it. Prove it. And they can't. So there's a very strong um, old ancient um, culture being destroyed mm. by these events because by removing them from the homeland, the children are vulnerable. You know, if they're on the homeland, they decide to stay on the homeland, then they're still not safe there because what happens is the docks workers come in and say, oh, you're not sending your children to school. We're going to remove them from you and put them in school. Oh, but can't you send a teacher out to us? Oh, no, that'll cost the government too much money. No, no, we'll take your children and put them in school. And that's what they do to people who do want to sit upon their homelands to protect it for native title. They threaten to take the children off them because they're not being educated in the Western world. And once the children are away from their parents, they lose their um, protection. Mm. So uh, they latch onto the first person who acts nice to them. So, and that's usually an enabler or groomer within the uh, education department. Oh, who, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who then says, yeah. oh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll look after you. Come here, little boy. Yeah. Come I, here, little I know boy. Of cases in, I know of a lot of cases in Northern Territory where um, pedophiles within the education department, and the pedophilia goes right to the top of the education department up there as well, just like it does in New South Wales well, and Queensland. Yeah. The education department, the education system in um, Australia was actually set up by a pedophile, and that was um, Commander Walpole, who was an American um, slave trader who was commissioned by the English to bring slave, um, bring convicts to Australia, because he already had ships set up to be uh, to carry human cargo, because he'd, he'd um, been part of the American slave trade and was uh, running slaves to America, so. Warpole actually set up the education. You have a little of the Warpole family within the education department of Australia. They founded it. And they founded it through opening the first orphanage of Australia for children. And that was Mount Penang Boys' Home. That used to be a, a oh, child's no. orphanage. Because after Warpole, after Warpole destroyed the path of rights of the Aboriginal people by massacring and murdering them of the warriors, he was then given the position of the governor of the orphans. So Magist um, Commander Walpole then went back to England 
emptied all the orphanages in Scotland, Wales, and England and Ireland of all the children, brought them back to to uh, to Australia from England, set up Mount Penang orphanage, and the children were day labour to the local farmers. And there are many oh. cases of child abuse by these farmers. Now that man's family run for many years the education department. You have a look at how many war poles are on the board of education. Yeah. And yet yeah. many of these children died by self-inflicted strangulation. You read the, the reports for the deaths of the children out of Mount Penang yeah. um, Boys Home. as a, It's a maximum security boys home now. Yeah. Yeah. You have a look at the early, uh, early transcripts of children who, say, had fallen out of a tree and broken a leg or something like that, and all of a sudden they died of self-strangulation. No, mm. it was, the only doctor was in Sydney, and they were only a, a child. They weren't going to send for a doctor for a child, so they choked them and killed them because it was too expensive to get the doctor to come up to the come up to the orphanage. So, uh, yeah, Walpole, the family of Walpole, have been instigators of um, child grooming and programming for uh, these uh, child abusers. Since the founding of the education department, I've, I've, and because of that, yeah. it's covered up. I've um, dealt with a lot of. Um, we're just coming up to the hour now, but and we have to finish up now. But I've, I have, and this is for another show, I suppose. We've, I've dealt with a lot of um, victims from Mount Penang and Derrick Boys Home, all the, you know, various boys homes where they've um, actually were prostituted, and you had quite a number of the people that we've been talking about uh, today um, used to visit. Um, these boys' homes and um, have sex with the boys or take them home and whatever. But that's another show, Lawrence. We've um, come to the yep. end of this one, and I think we could. Yeah. We I think we need to do another show, hey? This is just crazy. Yeah, that sounds great. So, well, I, I don't okay. know. I don't know about you, but I need a beer or something. Um, cause well, I don't drink. I haven't had a drink in thirteen years. Haven't you? Well, so. I'm not, yeah, I'm not supposed to drink. I'm, I'm very restricted now because it turns out I've got. My, migraines that are affected by just about everything I can eat. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, my depression goes haywire if I drink or take drugs. So I just don't drink or take drugs. Well, so, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I, uh, my brain is just mush now. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, what can I say? Um, the the more people I interview about all this sort of thing, the <coughs> the less I realise I knew. Um, so I just want to thank you, Lawrence, and and just I just want to make make it known to people that if anything happens to any of these people that I've interviewed, Lawrence, myself, um, it's because of what we've just spoken about. It's we are not suicidal. You've just heard Lawrence say he doesn't take any um, substances. You know, I don't take any illicit substances. Um, and I would never take my own life because no. it's against my beliefs. Yeah, and I'm I'm a born again Christian, and um, I, you don't commit suicide. You know, if you're a born again Christian, yep. that's what kept me going all these years, and made that off the cu- off the cards. You know that option. So well, that was what got me <laughs> into this. Was that um, I got I became a born again Christian, and the minister who actually I confessed all this stuff to was the one who actually organised the interview up at Teen Challenge, and was also the minister who sees the videotape mm. of Teen Challenge when Graham Tremblay and Gregory Sullivan mm. wanted to take all three tapes. Mm. So I know there are some good people in there mm. 
Yeah, they're, are trying and they're to, deceived, aren't they? They, yeah, they don't realise, you know. Like, you'll have some good people within the Catholic Church, you'll have good people within Hillsong, but um, they, they're, yes. they're absolutely brainwashed um, by what is effectively a cult. So, on that note, Lawrence... I well, just, they use their Christian yeah. stuff to, you know, they say, oh, you've got, got to forgive them. Mm, yeah, I know. You've got to forgive them. And, and they the use other the actual one, ideology the other one they say, to uh, yeah. cover it up. And the other one they say, just quickly, the other one they say is, oh, don't... Oh, how dare you, um, you know, mess with God's anointed? You know, like these Frank Houston was yeah. God's anointed. You know, I mean, that's just that's just cover up language. That's just if you if you talk that's like right. that about something that's been in the papers, then um, you're a pedophile protector. That's all you are. You're not a Christian. Yep. So right. thanks very much, Lawrence, and we'll leave it there. And um, let's let's do this again, hey? Yeah, for sure, Fiona, okay. and. Uh... Um, I hope everyone understands that, um, yeah, we are trying our best down here in Australia to expose this international pedophile ring that links mm. Europe, America, North and South America, Canada and uh, Australia. And uh, a lot of it went through a little island called Tahiti. Yeah. <laughs> Their money laundering island of Australia okay. and uh, America. Oh. So thank you very much Fiona thank you thank you That's, that was Lawrence and I'm Fiona Barnett and this is Pedophiles Down Under thank you very much and we'll get all our friends around us and we'll sing a song together I want you to be my body now body 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 body